European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 36, Issue 45, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. The Coronary Circulation, Plaques, Collaterals, and the Microcirculation. A functionally and structurally normal coronary circulation is essential for a physiologically adequate oxygen supply of the myocardium. Indeed, an adequate relation of myocardial oxygen demand and supply is normally maintained through active and continuous adjustments of epicardial coronary arteries and the microcirculation. Epicardial coronary arteries increase conductance during exercise in response to shear stress, mainly by an increased release of nitric oxide, an effect that is impaired with endothelial dysfunction and plaque development. For the prevention of acute coronary syndromes, Early identification of vulnerable, rupture-prone, atherosclerotic plaques in epicardial coronary arteries would be of utmost clinical relevance. Despite advances in imaging modalities and in vivo identification of many characteristics of vulnerability, few of these plaques actually rupture, and even fewer lead to clinical events, questioning the predictive value of such techniques. Indeed, Factors leading to an increased vulnerability of plaques within a prothrombotic and inflamed environment are generally unknown. However, microcalcifications and biomechanical factors may contribute. In a clinical review, vulnerable plaque imaging updates on new pathobiologic mechanisms, Konstantinos Tutuzas and colleagues from the Athens School of Medicine in Greece discuss new features implicated in vulnerable plaque formation and rupture, analyzing their potential clinical value. Coronary microvessels acutely respond to signals arising from local intra- and extravascular conditions and tissue metabolic requirements via changes in the release of endothelial factors and vascular smooth muscle tone. These adaptive responses control vascular resistance, the distribution of blood flow and oxygen delivery to the myocardium. Changes in vascular tone and structure, the so-called remodeling, play critical roles during growth and exercise, as well as in hypertension, microvascular dysfunction, and collateral development. The dynamics and plasticity of the coronary circulation is the basis for many diagnostic and therapeutic concepts, including coronary flow reserve, microcirculatory resistance, therapeutic angiogenesis, and regenerative therapy. However, studies of coronary remodeling and collateralization are relatively sparse, limiting the options to exploit the potential of vascular dynamics for treatment and prevention. These aspects are thoroughly discussed in a position paper entitled ESC Position Paper Coronary Vascular Regulation, Remodeling and Collateralization, Mechanisms and Clinical Implications on Behalf of the Working Group on Coronary Pathophysiology and Microcirculation by Axel Prize from the Charité in Berlin and colleagues from the Working Group. Specifically, mechanisms of coronary vasomotor regulation, remodeling and collateralization, as well as their translational potential, are presented and their dysfunction is discussed in the context of coronary artery disease. Finally, areas of future research are identified. Coronary artery disease is a leading global cause of morbidity and mortality, and improvements in its diagnosis and treatment are crucial to reduce the health and economic burden of this condition. 
In patients with stable coronary artery disease, culprit lesions are commonly visually assessed and geographically in severe projections. As plaques have a three-dimensional structure, such an assessment is often inappropriate. To overcome these limitations, pressure measurements in the coronary circulation have been developed. In a third clinical review, fractional flow reserve guided management in stable coronary disease and acute myocardial infarction recent developments. Colin Berry from the University of Glasgow in Scotland reminds us that fractional flow reserve is a pressure-derived index of the maximal achievable myocardial blood flow in the presence of an epicardial coronary stenosis as a ratio to maximum achievable flow. When compared with standard angiography-guided management, fractional flow reserve provides crucial information on the hemodynamic relevance of a stenosis as a basis for decision-making for revascularization. Importantly, such an approach also improves clinical outcomes. In this review article, Berry and colleagues review novel developments in our understanding of coronary pathophysiology, diagnostic applications, prognostic studies, clinical trials, and clinical guidelines. Primary percutaneous coronary intervention, or primary PCI, is the optimal treatment for ST elevation myocardial infarction, or STEMI, and recommended by current guidelines. An elevated index of microcirculatory resistance reflects microvascular function and when measured after primary PCI it is predictive of an adverse clinical outcome. In the first clinical research paper How Does Coronary Stent Implantation Impact Upon the Status of the Microcirculation During Primary Percutaneous Coronary Intervention in Patients with ST Elevation Myocardial Infarction Adrian Banning from the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford measured coronary microvascular function using fractional flow reserve, coronary flow reserve, and the index of microcirculatory resistance in 85 STEMI patients and compared sequential changes before and after stent implantation. Stenting significantly improved all parameters. However, after stenting, index of microcirculatory resistance remained elevated in about a third of patients. In 18%, only a partial reduction of the index occurred, and these patients were more likely to present after more than 6 hours. The extent of jeopardized myocardium and the pre-stenting index of microcirculatory resistance predicted a reduction of microcirculatory resistance after stenting, whilst thrombotic burden and deployed stent volume were associated with a potentially deleterious increase of the index. The authors conclude that improved perfusion of the myocardium after stent deployment during primary PCI is not universal. The causes of impaired microvascular function at completion of a technically successful treatment are heterogeneous, but reflect later clinical symptoms and or the location and extent of the thrombotic burden. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Carl J. Pepina from the University of Florida in Gainesville, USA. In the second clinical research paper, Deferral versus Performance in Percutaneous Coronary Intervention of Functionally Non-Significant Coronary Stenosis, 15-year follow-up of the DEFER trial, Nico Piles and colleagues from the Katerina Hospital in Eindhoven in the Netherlands note that stenting and angiographically intermediate but functionally non-significant stenosis is controversial. As such, 
It has been questioned if deferral of the functionally non-significant lesions on the basis of fractional flow reserve is safe, especially in the long term. To address this question, Piles and colleagues presented the five-year follow-up of the DEFER trial that enrolled 325 patients scheduled for PCI of an intermediate stenosis in which fractional flow reserve was measured immediately beforehand. Only patients with values of 0.75 or higher were randomly assigned to deferral or PCI and followed up for 15 years, which was obtainable in 92%. Death was not different between groups. However, the rate of myocardial infarction was 2.2% and significantly lower in the defer group compared to the stented group where it was 10.0%. Piles and colleagues therefore conclude that deferral of PCI of a functionally non-significant stenosis is associated with a favourable very long-term follow-up without signs of a late catch-up phenomenon. The optimal strategy for coronary chronic total occlusions is controversial. Maruan Bucris from the Canizzaro Hospital in Catania, Italy, therefore provide data on prevalence characteristics and outcome of patients with chronic total occlusions according to the management strategy in their clinical research paper, Management Strategies in Patients Affected by Chronic Total Occlusions, results from the Italian Registry of Chronic Total Occlusions, IRCTO. The IRCTO is a prospective real-world multi-center registry enrolling patients with at least one CTO. Clinical and angiographic data were collected irrespective of the therapeutic strategy, i.e. optimal medical therapy, PCI, or coronary artery bypass grafting, and a one-year clinical follow-up was obtained. A total of 1,777 patients were enrolled. Medical therapy was used in 46%, PCI in 44%, and CABG in 10%. At one year, patients undergoing PCI showed lower rates of major adverse cardiac and cerebrovascular events and cardiac death compared to those treated medically or with bypass surgery, respectively. After propensity score matching analysis, patients treated with PCI showed a lower incidence of cardiac death, infarction, and rehospitalization compared to those managed medically. The authors therefore conclude that PCI of chronic total occlusions might improve survival and decrease cardiovascular events at one year compared to medical therapy or bypass surgery. The manuscript is accompanied by a thoughtful editorial by Bradley Strauss from the Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto, Canada. Platelets and their reactivity play a crucial role in acute coronary syndromes and pharmacological inhibition of P2Y12 receptors improves outcome in such patients. The level of young or reticulated platelets reflects the rate of thrombopoiesis in an analogous fashion to the red cell reticulocyte count. However, their influence on platelet inhibition by ticagrelor or prasugrel is unknown. In their manuscript, Impact of Immature Platelets on Platelet Response to Ticagrelor and Prasugrel in Patients with Acute Coronary Syndrome, Isabel Bernlochner and colleagues from Munich, Germany, determine the influence of reticulate platelets on adenosine diphosphate-induced platelet aggregation in 124 patients with acute coronary syndrome randomized to either Ticagrelor or Prasugrel. Platelet aggregation 
significantly correlated with the immature platelet fraction in patients receiving prasugrel, but not in those receiving ticagrelor. Within the thiazole orange positive reticulate platelet fraction, P-selection expression was significantly higher in prasugrel as compared to ticagrelor-treated individuals. A time-dependent P-selection expression was observed in prasugrel but not in ticagrelor-treated patients. The authors conclude that reticulated platelets show a greater impact on platelet reactivity in response to prasugrel as compared to ticagrelor. The manuscript is accompanied by a critical editorial by Carlo Patrono and Bianca Rocha from the Catholic University in Rome, Italy. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.